Welcome to The Art of Being a Mum, the podcast where we hear from mothers who are creators and artists, sharing their joys and issues around trying to be a mother and continue to make art. My name's Alison Newman. I'm a singer, songwriter and mother of two boys from regional South Australia. I have a passion for mental wellness and a background in early childhood education. Thanks so much for joining me. My guest today is Carmen Bliss, holistic counsellor and mother from Mount Gambier, South Australia. I invited Carmen onto the podcast to share her knowledge and expertise as a holistic counsellor, particularly around the areas of identity and mum guilt that we discuss in every episode. Carmen founded and runs her own business, Inspired Wellbeing Co, providing services for individuals, couples, parents and workplaces. What follows today is an honest and open discussion where Carmen not only shares her expertise, but shares her own experiences with parenting, loss and finding your own true calling in life. Please be aware this episode contains discussion around stillbirth, miscarriage, grief, panic attacks, PTSD and anxiety. Carmen opens up very honestly and at times graphically about her stillbirth experience and the procedures in the aftermath. Today, I'm really excited to welcome a very special guest, a guest with a little bit of a difference. Welcome Carmen Bliss, who's from Inspired Wellbeing Co. in Mount Gambia. Thank you for coming on, Carmen. It's so lovely to have you. Thank you. It's a um, pleasure to be here. So I sort of thought I approached you because I've probably recorded 20 or so of these now, these chats with these um, artistic mums. And I have some particular topics that I love talking about. And the responses I get are very different, but quite similar in a lot of ways, but slightly different. And I thought, so I thought it was about time I spoke to someone who's got some expertise in this area who could perhaps help shed a little bit of light on what's going on for mums when they're experiencing these things, um, maybe some sort of ways we can look at it differently to help us through. Before we delve into all of that nitty gritty stuff, let's chat about you for a little while, Carmen. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself and um and the business that you run and how you got into all that sort of stuff? Well, I probably fell into this profession. It was not a planned profession. Um, My personality type, which you'll learn I love all that sort of stuff. So as we go along our discussion, you'll um, pick up on bits and pieces that I'm really passionate about, including understanding personality types and stuff. Um, My personality type is quite, I don't want to use the word rigid, but it, but it is like it's quite structured. I like structure. I, you know, like numbers, data, all that sort of stuff, which people who know me probably think, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> but that that is the, the crux of my personality. So I was never going to be a counsellor. So even when I was working as a student counsellor, I said, I'm never training in counselling ever. Um, it's not my thing. I don't like it. You know, all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> and then here I am um, with my own business in counselling. Um, go figure. Um, so yeah, so I sort of got into the business because, uh, of, um, a few personal situations that kind of changed my view on the world. Like it was like a, not like a wake up moment. Well, I suppose it was a wake up moment, but like a, a dawning period. I don't know if that's the right word, but you kind of know what I mean. Um, where you think, okay, life's not as black and white as I've made it out to be for the last 36 years or 35 years or whatever it was, 32 years. Um, You know, I was very black and white before, before that point. So um, yeah, here I am doing counselling, which um, I never thought I would be doing. So family, um, I've got um, a lovely husband who uh, we've been together uh, nearly 20 years, I think, next year, which is, seems like a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still learning things about him every day, which, which is probably a good thing because it keeps me interested. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> um, I've got two children. Um, Harrison, he just turned 13 on the weekend. Um 
lucky he's a pretty quiet child so we haven't really hit that crazy teenage stage yet I mean there are you know the smelly bedroom and the not showering and the greasy hair and the pimples and stuff but yeah no, nothing outrageous which I'm thankful for um, and then I've got my daughter Anna who's um, just turned seven in August um, and yeah god help us when she turns 13 um, because that's a completely different story um, I've been managing her behavior since she was two so I just, um, yeah, she, she, um, her as a teenager, I'm just um, pretty apprehensive about that. Um, we'll deal with it when, when it comes. Um, and then, uh, so my family journey hasn't been like an easy one, obviously. So we had Harrison. Um, he was not planned. So I was only 25. Um, not really thinking about kids, you know, um, and then, oh, hello, I'm pregnant. <laughs> um, but we owned our own house and, you know, we we're in a really good position. We had jobs and, you know, everything like that. So, yeah, wouldn't change it for the world, absolutely. Um, uh, so then uh, when Harry was about three, we started trying um, for another baby and had three miscarriages sort of in a row. Um, didn't really get to the point of testing like what why there was a few things um like I think it's progesterone levels and just little things like that um but then fell pregnant with Anna um after that um and she was just like a normal healthy kind of pregnancy so it was yeah it was a bit weird um and then we lost a baby through stillbirth um when Anna was two so that that kind of put a spin on you know the whole family situation number one like that was unplanned so you know uh, you know you have those freak outs like oh my god like baby number three what the hell are we gonna do you know I love my job I don't think I want to take maternity leave you know <clears throat> all that sort of stuff um at the time I was earning more than Brad so you know we we're tossing up does he be the stay-at-home dad um, all of that sort of stuff so you kind of go into this whirlwind and I went into denial so I think because it rocked our world so much and because um, Anna was still only like one and a half two mm. when we fell pregnant for the yeah with the third baby um so I went into kind of like I don't think I want this baby like you know there was all that yeah. like self-talk like I don't know how I'm going to handle three kids you know Anna's Harry was this perfect textbook baby, you know, that slept through the night in his cot from day one. You know, he was just like this perfect baby. Yeah. And then Anna came and it was like, holy shit. <laughs> what have we, what, why did we choose to go back? Um, yeah. No, she's got the biggest heart, but yeah, the biggest personality too. Um, yeah, so she's two and I'm trying to manage a two-year-old. And then, yeah, we, we bang, we're pregnant again. Um, so, yeah, I felt... Um, in those early stages, I felt like I didn't want to be pregnant. I, you know, was in a lot of denial and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we went to our, our ultrasound and at 20 weeks and found out that we lost the baby, then all the guilt started because, oh. you know, you think, you think, was that like, did I do this by wishing it away? You know, did I do this by thinking that I don't want this baby? You know, all that sort of stuff sort of starts to creep in. Um, but lucky I've got a really, really good support network around me. Um, but it wasn't easy. I don't think anyone tells you about these things. So, like, I had to give birth. Oh. So, so it's like no one tells you that. Yeah, you no. know, do you get what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, you think, yeah. but, you know, people say, oh, you know, we've had a stillbirth, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But they don't actually say, oh, you have to give birth. You know, like the follow-up stuff. Yeah. So I was completely shocked by that because I was like, oh, like, I don't know whether I can do that. Yeah. I don't know whether I can, like, you know, go into a labour room and give birth to a baby that's not alive. You know, like that, that was a really big fear. And I think that's the point where I really broke down, like when the doctor told me that I had to give birth. Like I was kind of not in shock, but, yeah, in, mm. I don't know, yeah, it would be shock, I suppose. Um. And I, but I hadn't showed any full-on emotion yet. Yeah. Obviously, it's a whirlwind. Mm. Um, but when the doctor said, and I was so lucky, I had an amazing doctor. And it was, you know, when people are there 
the right people at the right time. Mm -hmm. She was one of those people because she was literally only my doctor for six months. And it was that period where I got pregnant and then lost the baby. And she was there through the whole thing. And then she was gone. She just left town. So it was like so weird. She was, she was obviously there for the right time, you know, the right, right time for me. So she was amazing. Um, And she was really comforting and talked me through the whole thing. And yeah. And the midwives um, at the hospital were also really, really amazing. So I feel like I had like the support that I that I needed like throughout that whole journey even though it's you know it's horrible it's um I'm probably speaking about it maybe some people think candidly but I've processed a lot of that stuff you know I've worked very hard over the last five years to to process um all of that so you know and had intense counseling myself um to sort of work through all of that um but yeah the midwives were amazing and I just remember this this one there was two main midwives and there was one um whose name was Gloria oh, who I, I, you know her I know Gloria <laughs> yeah. how amazing is she yeah she she I think is she still working up there like she's been no, up I, there. yeah I think she just recently retired oh god because she was there when we had Alex she's like Alex I've got seven years between my two so yeah. she was there when I had Alex 13 years ago, nearly 14 years ago. And then she was still there when I had Digby. And we were just like, oh, mm. my God. And actually, I'm digressing now. But she was the first person I told about my, when I was up there, my postnatal depression was coming back. Oh, and yeah. I just trusted her so much. She was just like the most, like she'd just come in and she'd just sit down and have a chat. And yeah. like my husband thought she was awesome. Like she was just. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like Gloria was there for the first half of the labour. And she was just like this guardian angel, I suppose, you know, that had been sent to nurture me in that time. And, you know, she, she was telling me about how, you know, how many of the births that are not live for her, you know, in her whole career span. <laughs> yeah. So she, she told me about, you know, all the pregnancies and um, births and everything that she had come across in her career and what her life was like and, yeah, that she didn't have any children of her own. Um, I think she was like, am I right in saying not not a nun, but something similar to that, like a sister or something? Yeah, she was. She was a sister. Yeah, 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 yeah. So she she served, you know, in that way, served God in that way, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then there was another lady, Fiona, who who actually was there when I when I birthed Lucy, and she was amazing as well. Like she was just so amazing. Um, but no one tells you about all this stuff. And, um, you know, that, I think that's the hardest thing that I found is, you know, no one tells you those steps and I don't know, maybe it's better to be naive. Uh, yeah. I don't know. And I think the hardest part of that, because when you're in labor, like they drug you up, like, yeah, like you can say no, obviously, but you that emotional and, you know, you just want it to be a bit numb, mm. um, which is probably, I don't know. I don't think I would have changed that because you just want, you don't want any pain. You know, you do, it's not like you, you're going to be rewarded at the end. Yeah. You know, you just want to be numbed out for a little bit. Um, but probably the hardest part of that, of that whole process um, was like walking out with, without a baby. So like that, like you're in the maternity ward with, with everybody else and you have to exit that maternity ward with no baby. Mm. so that was probably I feel like it was like the walk of shame almost like people were looking you know I don't know it was just a really weird experience and quite confronting like that was pretty you know because you you know you imagine you know and because I've had two children you know I, I have experienced this before you know that feeling where you're taking your baby home and you're like you know it's just such a a big moment of putting the baby in the capsule and getting it in the car and you know all of that so yeah it was like the complete opposite of that so yeah it was really weird and Gloria sent me and this like blew me away she sent me a postcard exactly a year later on the exact date that I gave birth saying like how she was still thinking about me and that she was in some conference, this midwifery conference, and yeah. you know she was thinking about the date, and yeah, I, like 
I, I bawled my eyes out when I received that in the post because I was like, oh, how does she have time to even remember these dates? And, and she said, like, it was yeah. on the date. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, oh. I keep that because, oh, God. yeah. Yeah. I've made you cry now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Oh. Wow. Well, um, thank you for sharing that, yeah. honestly. So I've, you know, I've, it's not that, and I know people talk about grief differently and I know that it's very different for every individual. You know, I've worked with grief in my counselling work. You know, I understand that people um, handle grief and loss differently. But I had a period of um, denial, not denial of what had happened, denial of my feelings. You know, like I just shut them all the way. I didn't want to process mm-hmm. them. Yeah. So that was for about a year. Um, then, then it came. <laughs> like then, then all of the emotions came, and I had to get counselling and stuff because I ended up with post-traumatic stress disorder because I had um, quite an invasive um, operation um, afterwards. Um, which, looking back now, I if I could preach one thing to to young women or young mums even, is make informed decisions about your, about your own body. Yeah. So I was talked into a procedure, an ablation of the uterus when I didn't actually need it. Yeah. Um, and it was one of the most invasive procedures that I've had because it was really, like, extremely painful. Oh. And now I don't, and I can't have children anymore because of it. And it was quite soon after that stillbirth. So the gynecologist who I won't name should not, like they shouldn't be making mm. people who have just gone through that make those decisions. Yeah, um, absolutely. Is this not an informed decision? How can you make a decision like that when you're not in the right frame of mind? Mm. And the same as Brad. So he was booked in for a vasectomy already, like before we found out that we were pregnant with Lucy. And so then all of this happened and it was about three months later and he was still booked in for this vasectomy. And, you know, like we kind of discussed it and everything. But looking back, like you don't, I don't know, you can't, you're not in the right frame of mind to decide mm-hmm. whether you're never going to have children again. I mean, yeah. I didn't find pregnancy easy, so I'm not sure that I would have gone back for another pregnancy anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> it's nice to have the option, isn't it? Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's quite appalling, isn't it, to... To, yeah. to be confronted with that at such a when you're so vulnerable and yeah. obviously not having the time to like you said to find out what you need to find out and the ramifications of this mm-hmm. yeah that's that's appalling yeah so I, I guess like a, you, yeah you're working through that as well as you yeah so I was, yeah. yeah yeah so that's a grief and loss in itself because you know as a woman yeah we have periods and then there was no longer so that's a that's a grief and loss in itself. And yes, it's fantastic not bleeding every month, but also I feel like something's missing mm. some months, you know, like that's a process. Oh, yeah. We get used to it. It's a womanly thing. Yeah. It's spiritual and all the rest of it. Um, so yeah, I ended up with PTSD um because that operation didn't go as planned and a few few hiccups went wrong when I was going under and um <clears throat> Yeah, so then I was presented with, um, you know, having these panic attacks, you know, multiple times a day and mm-hmm. just felt completely out of control for, for probably three three to four, three years, probably three, three solid years. Oh, wow. I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to go on medication or anything because medication has its place, absolutely. Like I, I'm not an um, anti-medication, um, but for me and my body, I knew that it wouldn't be the right choice. So, um and only because I'm so sensitive to all of that sort of stuff. Like I know that my body would have probably reacted in an unpleasant way rather than helping the situation. Mm. So, yeah, I just got intensive, intensive counselling and 
yeah, I worked through it that way. And I mean, I still um, have anxiety a little bit and still moments of panic every now and again, but it's pretty much under control at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, that's my family life. And poor Anna, she was two when all this happened. So I feel like we're having a lot of issues with her at the moment. And I feel like some of it has contributed to my probably lack of emotional availability around that time. I'm going to take you back right back to the start you refer to yourself as a holistic counselor can you share what that holistic element means and how that changes how you approach your work yeah sure um I like the word holistic because I don't believe counseling is just of the mind so holistic when when you talk about counseling is um mind body spirit so not only are we looking at what's going on in the mind but the mind doesn't operate separately from the body and separately from spirit or energy and um, energetics. So holistic integrates everything. So, you know, not only are we looking at um, what thought patterns and, you know, are detrimental to your mental health. Well, and I don't even like the, I know that the word mental health is, is recognized and and I don't know what else I would call it but it's not just mental health mm. it's like holistic health because every little bit contributes to the mental health so when I practice I look at the people's lifestyle like are they sleeping because sleep has a massive detrimental impact on mental health are they really low on vitamin D? And I mean, I can't test that. I'm not a medical doctor, but I will always suggest that they go and have a look at their blood work because if they're hugely low on vitamin D or hugely, you know, they're not taking magnesium or just the really simple stuff, then that affects your mental health. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, are they having bodily symptoms that um, they think are normal but are actually contributed to their mental health? like their nervous system's unregulated. And then the energetics of it, you know, are you in an environment where there's yelling and screaming every day or, you know, that plays a part in your spirit and your energetics, which then plays a part on your mental health. You know, so that's yeah. kind of the holistic thing that we look at. Mm. Yeah, it certainly is all, it, it, it all, everything affects everything else, doesn't it? It's not... Like I think the Western doctor's way of treating the, what do they do? They treat the symptoms instead of treating the cause. It's like they just yeah. look at one thing in isolation and, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And that's I think that's probably what spurred me on to, to look at the holistic stuff is, you know, I had um, like some really significant sort of adrenal issues that, and the western doctors um oh, made me feel horrible you know they they made me feel like I was making it up yeah because they didn't have yeah. a, they didn't have an answer for it so yeah mustn't be must just, <laughs> yeah it must just be all in your head uh, you know um it takes me back to the description um when psychology was first around of, of hysteria you know like so you know women who are young mothers would be diagnosed with hysteria which means these days that they're not coping you know uh. they might have postnatal depression or they might have really bad anxiety but back then it was just labeled hysteria and I feel like that has you know in the western doctor world uh. you know they don't use the word hysteria but basically I was told that I was a tired horrible housewife <laughs> like and I was working I'm like I'm not a housewife a bloody work you oh busted. man <laughs> yeah. so yeah that's what made me so passionate about holistic mm. you never say that about someone in a medical no. setting these days would you no and I think uh. because psychology was so new you know like as such an emerging field and 
um the and i uh, sorry if i bore you with the details of the history and stuff but no, that's kind of, yeah <laughs> i like that sort of stuff um yeah. but back then they didn't believe that the brain like they didn't know about neuroplasticity so if someone was in that state you know quote unquote hysteria or you know psycho or whatever they didn't understand that that could be changed. They just labeled that person and put them in, in, in an institution and they never got the chance to actually heal. Mm, yeah. So all these people who were labeled, you know, hysterical or psycho or, um, you know, needed to be institutionalized, um, they didn't believe that the brain could change. So that's where the research is now, that the brain can change and we can mm. you know, um, mold mold our neural pathways to to be um in a better shape than what they were you know when we were suffering from mental health or experiencing anxiety or depression or whatever mm. yes we've definitely come a very long way very very long mm. way So the, there's two two topics that I love to talk about, and so they are the um, the mum guilt, which I like to put in inverted commas, because, and the second one is identity. So the way that when a woman becomes a mother, how they see themselves changes. So well, let's let's do the mum guilt first. Mm. So do you have any idea? I'm really intrigued by this, and I'll ask you this question, and you might not know, and that's fine, but. Where did this term come from? Like, how was it created? Has it been like a social media hashtag? Like, or is it like people have to label things? We have to call something. We have to have a term for everything. What, what's your take on that? I think it's, I, and, and I don't know. I, 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 you know, I'm not an expert or I don't know. Like, <laughs> this is only my opinion. Yeah. only one person. Um, I feel like it's a product of social media the media because when like when I had my son I was 25 like social media had only just started because don't forget I'm I'm old (laughs) (laughs) not as old as me Jesus (laughs) um and I wasn't on social media I didn't look up websites I just parented from my heart with my mum's advice, kind of like the traditional way that people would parent mm-hmm. without all of this outside influence. And the only time I experienced mum guilt was when I put my son in childcare and um, he, didn't, he didn't gel with the carer for the first probably three months. But I don't... I can I felt guilty I I did I felt guilty for dropping him off there because he wasn't settled you know um I didn't feel guilty about going to work because I knew in my mind that without all this external pressure and and whatever else to be a perfect mum because that wasn't around then you know you just did the best you could that I needed to go back to work for my own sanity and I did not feel guilty about that. So that was it when Harry was 10 months old. Mm-hmm. I'm not a maternal person. I'll be the first to say I'm not a, I'm not a person who's in an apron baking a cake, breastfeeding their child at the oven. <laughs> like I am not that person. I work. I thrive off work. I thrive off intellectual stimulation. Just being a mum is not enough for me. So never once did I feel guilty to, for, for going to work and making that decision back then. Um, I did feel guilty for, for because my child was quite upset in those first three months. But do you know what? Once we found the right fit, mm. once we found the right person to care for him in that childcare setting, he absolutely loved it and he mm. thrived. So I didn't have that, that mum guilt. So I feel like mum guilt is a product of everybody else's judgment of what society 
should or shouldn't do or be. Mm. And then we take that on that we take that those feelings on from externally internally, and then they manifest. And I don't think that's right. Mm. Yeah, I don't think it's as a mum like you're going to be very different to me. You know, do you get what I mean? Like mm. yeah. we can't see a social media stereotype of a mum and say we all have to fit in that round peg when we're triangle square diamond mm. that makes sense oh it does know. and I, I can sort of sense perhaps the connection then you talked at the beginning briefly about the personality types so it's like mm. everyone will experience things different because of the way just the way they are Don't get me started about the patriarchal <laughs> stuff that goes. Oh, come on, get started on it. <laughs> <laughs> because I would call myself a fe- like a feminist because I hate patriarchal systems. I It actually makes me feel physically sick to my core and I don't know whether that's, you know, from my past life or, you know, whatever yeah. happened there or because I've always had great men figures in my life. My husband is, like, absolutely amazing. Like, honestly, like, we share halves in everything. Like, he comes in and he does the dishes or I'll go outside and weed the garden or, like, he is, yeah, really, really amazing. I'm so blessed to have someone like that. Um, So it's not because I haven't had these, you know, beautiful men, male figures in my life. Mm. Um, It's just the systems and what a mum the word mum, I suppose, depicts is you stay at home, you look after the kids and that's it. You do all the stuff around the house. You do all the washing. You do, And I feel like that that's society's um, MO of what a mother should do, look like, etc. Mm. We shouldn't be going to the gym because mums shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be spending money on ourselves because you're not earning any money. You know, like all of that is bullshit. Like I, yeah. I really despise that patriarchal kind of thing. And that is sometimes where I think this mum guilt comes from. Like it's it's generational trauma of having this patriarchal system that is outdated and really sexist. Mm. Absolutely. So that's the other part of it. Yeah, so it's almost like because women then the way that they mother is changing they've got to be reined back in so they've got to be made to feel guilty to pull them back to this the traditional way that they're supposed to supposed to be mothering I've used a lot of air absolutely <laughs> yeah absolutely so, and why aren't we you know why aren't big organizations including family daycare as part of their well, well-being program at work so mothers can return to work when they want to you know why do we have waiting lists of hundreds of children at childcare? like why aren't we doing something about that you know so women can actually get back into the workforce and do what they love or you know do you get what I mean mm-hmm. I don't know it's a big problem oh yeah so I guess then people experience it differently then because of how they were parented what their role modeling was from their mother maybe they feel the guilt because they're doing something different to their mother or what, what do you think about the way that perhaps so other women and other mothers, what's their role in driving this as well? Because I feel like, I know we're getting better at it, but I feel like there's a lot of judgment from mums to other mums and women that don't have children, they're judging mothers. We've got a lot of, of, of work to do there too, I feel. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it really stems back to the basic values and beliefs and yes role models come into the the values and beliefs of people so we grow up with a certain set of values so our core values um pretty much don't change throughout our lives they might change slightly um and if you have ever come and done any of my counseling you know come and done counseling with me i 
you know, there's a few key things that I bang on about, which probably people get sick of hearing. Um, and one of them is values and beliefs because values are our core values. So it might be, you know, um, a set of values that, that don't change that are inherently um, ingrained in us from, from our parents or whatever. And then we have beliefs on top of that. So values are things like, um, like family. So like, you know, I value family a lot because, you know, I'm very close to my family. I get a lot of support from my family. I love my family dearly. Um, so that is one of my core values is having family around me and, and having them support me. And, you know, if I go a month without seeing my mother, I probably, you know, like <laughs> it gets a bit tense, you know, yeah. um, we have a really good relationship. So that's a, that's like a core value. And then we have these beliefs on top of that. So beliefs are a little bit more, they, they are what can be changed and influence. And as we grow and evolve, they change and open and all the rest of it. So I feel like everyone has that, but what we need to work on, and you talk about um, mums being judgmental towards other mums, et cetera, is actually a lack of awareness for our, um, and I'm gonna speak in riddles probably now, so pull me up if you don't understand anything because probably I need to explain it a bit more. But the opinions and judgments of other people towards other people, whether that be mums to mums, et cetera, or non-working uh, non-mothers to mothers, is a lack of self-awareness and reflection of our unconscious bias. Yeah, explain that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... I'll try and put it in simple terms. Okay, so if we think about a drug addict, right? Some people might think that it's their fault, that they can stop anytime that they want, that they have control over what they're doing and they want to penalise that person. I think that for me is a... Um, underdeveloped opinion of a drug, drug addict because that has unconscious bias behind it. They don't know what that person has gone through in the, in the start of their life to the trauma that they've experienced mm. and the depth of the pain and emotional pain that they're trying to numb or, or whatever it might be. Mm. They don't need prison. They need healing. Mm. So that would be being aware of the unconscious bias because once upon a time I would have been the person that said drug addicts need to go to prison because they're just ruining life for everybody else you know like criminal criminal behavior etc mm. yeah but because my beliefs have evolved I can now see a whole picture so instead of looking through a pinhole we're now looking through a 20 centimeter diameter window does that mm -hmm. kind of make sense yeah so it's like you maybe because of the way you, you grew up or the way you, your parents views were you've got that in you and so you have that until that time where you have whatever happens in your life for whatever reason or you start to educate yourself whatever you can change your opinion so yeah that, that unconscious bias is what you just have in you necessarily mm -hmm. without realizing that's just how you see things I guess is that yeah is that yeah explaining yeah and there's a there's a saying and I've got to get it right you don't know what you don't know until you know more. Mm. Yeah. So that information, like informed, like those informed beliefs. Mm. And not everyone wants to have informed beliefs or decisions. People, yeah, so it's, it's hard, yeah. isn't it? It's actually very challenging. And it, sometimes yeah. it's just easier not to. <laughs> yeah. Because you're, you're not going to change somebody else to change their beliefs. Mm unless they're coming to you because they want to change, which is in my holistic counselling situation, they're coming because they want to be there. Yeah. You know, they pay to be there. They want, they're paying me to help them to change their beliefs. Mm. But if you have someone that doesn't want to change, then there's no way that anyone else is going to change. You can argue with them until the moon goes blue. They're not going to change their beliefs because you tell them to. Mm. Yeah. When, when you're talking about this, I'm just reminded of, actually my father-in-law we caught up with him on the weekend and he's in his early 80s 
and we had this discussion about because I said about how childcare is really busy and we're we're really full up at the moment. And he says, "Oh, do you, do you accept children from mums who don't work?" I said, "Yeah, we do." He said, "Oh, I don't agree with that. You should, mum should be home with the children." And I went into this great big rampage about what what's so what's great about childcare, what's for the children and for the mums. And I said all this stuff, and he just went, "Oh, whatever." I thought you haven't heard a single word I've said, like literally you have, this is it. You've got your beliefs and you're not changing your beliefs. It doesn't matter how long I went on about my great big impassioned views of what I think is so great about childcare. Yeah. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a prime example. And the only way that we can um, help people view the world differently or view these situations differently is be a good role model not preach we don't I don't preach to people I don't you know um lay it on the line of what they have to change I'd be a good role model you know I talk about the science behind it and you know why things are better you know try and um give them information which doesn't I don't with no expectation information with no expectation you couldn't have given your father-in-law all of that information and then expected to change, for him to change his belief mm. because that expectation leads to disappointment on your behalf, which leads to anger on, on your behalf. Mm. So we have to give people information without expectation. And I think a lot of the time people expect people to change because of their own, you know, you know if they've shared information they expect that person to yeah. change straight away yeah which is just ridiculous <laughs> yeah yeah because then they get disappointed and and then it affects relationships then doesn't it it's like yeah absolutely yeah So identity, let's talk about that. The reality that when you have a child, when you become a mother, that um, the way that you see yourself changes. And I guess that can also be influenced by society as well about how you're supposed to see yourself. Um, it, it really is, the words I've heard mothers talk like, they've experienced like an identity crisis, basically, who am I, what am I? I only exist for this child, so what does that mean for you know who I was before it's in a, in a grieving process too I suppose of the life that's that's lost yeah share, share yeah. what you, how you feel about that I definitely went through that but probably and a little bit when when I became a mother um like a little bit but probably more so when I was forced to make a decision about whether to leave a job or not and it was a important high up job and I had this identity crisis around that um but as a mother I think this identity crisis because literally like at the start of this year I had a, an, an elderly couple come in and they said we want to do couples counseling um and I said okay like yeah like absolutely everyone's welcome and I think they would have been in their late 70s um, he was quite active in the community. So, you know, he did lots of stuff around, the, around their local community and was quite involved and she just sat at home. And it just blew my mind that she had no purpose in her life other than being at home and, and doing the stuff at home. Mm. So she still hadn't found her identity from when she had kids like 50 years ago. So for, for the last 50 years, she had not had her identity. And whether she even had that identity before she had kids, because don't forget that was in a different era, like yeah. women, you know, are to be seen and not heard, Yeah. you know, ma married quite young. And that was their purpose to marry, to have children and to look after the house. Like that was their purpose. Mm. Yeah. And she spoke about being really sad and, you know, 
not looking forward to the future and really resentful that he was out doing things in, in his community. So I gently sort of spoke to her about finding her identity again. What are the things she loves to do? You know, does she love to go and have coffee with friends? Does she love to go hiking? Does she love to go dancing? Including some of those things in her life again. Mm. And she was re she really had a a lot of trouble understanding that she can and has permission to, to find all those things again. Yeah. So I had to literally give her permission to find all those things again because she she thought that that was not okay. Yeah. I, when you were saying that, I was the, the word permission was going through my mind too. It's like she was actually saying, is it okay if I actually do this? Like mm -hmm. that's yeah. um, that's quite full on, isn't it? That someone's. Yeah. Wow. And oh. so the, like the mums that I work with um, quite often who, you know, either their child's just gone to school or they're a little bit older and they're in childcare or the mum's going back to work or whatever. It's always around identity. And it's also around the self-worth. So thinking of yourself as worthy. And I always say to them, why aren't you worthy? Give me, you know, give me a good reason why you aren't worthy to um, have two hours to yourself on a Thursday night to do whatever you want. Like, why are you not worthy of that? You know, so it's really... That identity thing is, again, I feel like it's patriarchal and society, you know, born from society. Mm. And then when social media comes along, it's like it's amplified like 200% with this massive magnifying glass. Mm. I, I, I actually, I know social media has its place, but it is destructive and damaging and... I can, you know, in my other job, I, I am in a high school counselling high school students. Mm -hmm. And I just cannot even fathom why they enter into this bullshit on their phones. Like I just, and these kids are like literally stuck to their phone and have probably the worst self-esteem issues that I have ever come across and it just blows me away and it saddens me. It, it, it saddens me to the core that these young girls, you know, starting at, say, 13, 12 or 13, probably even, no, probably 11, they're starting at 11, like caring so much about what other people think of them. Mm. Like that's what they base their whole life on. And then, of course, then we have, yeah, the identity stuff that comes later with, with mums and... Mm. I know that's you know it might be two different topics, but I think they're into oh. they interplay because of the yeah. self worth stuff. Absolutely, I think it it's almost um, scary to think how these young girls now are how they're going to cope with that motherhood because of the they've been in this world. I think it's interesting, like people like you and I, and probably a lot of people listening to this, did live in a world before social media, so we can look at that and go. Like my son, something will happen and I'll be just like, oh, that's no big deal, you know, because I know I have the hindsight and whatever I've lived that I've lived in a, a lot longer than him and I can say that. But obviously that's not very helpful to him, but <laughs> we, we know there's a world outside of social media, but for them, their whole world is that, that tiny whatever exists on that phone and it's really quite scary that. Absolutely, yeah. and I agree. Um and it leads to this identity and, and even identity, and I know this is the, probably not the identity that you're speaking about, but um, gender identity in a lot of the young people at the moment, um, you know, that plays into the identity because they have got so much information at their fingertips. Mm. It's like this, it's like bef before the internet and before social media, et cetera, you had to go and you had to look up scientific papers and encyclopedias, you know, remember those big books? Oh, yeah. Had like a hundred of them. Yep. <laughs> you know, it was, it was qualified information. Yep. So you had to go and do research, whereas now you can just type in Google. 
and it's not quantified information. It's not research backed. It's not evidence based. It's not. So I feel like the kids get overwhelmed. Like instead of just sitting with themselves, sitting still within themselves or exploring the outside world, all that information is just like an information superhighway and it's just bombarding and it's confusing. It is mm. honestly confusing for them. And I feel like that's the same with mums as well, you know, especially with raising babies, etc. Is that information overload? Mm. But I think the identity of mums, I hope that it's changing. Mm. And I think it is slowly, but it's like really, really slowly. It's like the snail. Yeah. 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 And I, I hope that we can instill enough self-worth in these mums to say that raising a baby is a two-person job, you know, if you have got a partner, you know, that, that other partner needs to step up. Or if you're a single mum that doesn't have that partner, having that support network that they can call on, you know, to be able to take the baby for, you know, a day or a couple of hours or whatever. So the mum can actually find like find herself and do things for herself. Mm. And I get it. Like when you're immersed in that newborn stage, you know, like it's full on, like that you live and breathe it. Like it's yeah. it's pretty suffocating. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you you're sleep deprived, your brain's not functioning properly, you feel like, you know, you're either, you know depending on how you feed you either got the baby stuck to your boob or heating up bottles or sterilizing bottles mm -hmm. hours on end yep okay you do you fall into this world of just baby 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 mm. but I think at some point when the baby you know gets out of that being dependent on mum stage all the time then we have to start exploring ourselves again as mum you know as as Carmen or Alison yeah. as a mum yeah That's yeah it. yeah and and being confident enough to like you said ask for help using like yeah it, it really comes I don't want to say it really comes down to but the the heart of this from my perspective anyway the building up that self-worth so you do feel like you can ask for help like you're worthy enough to have that conversation with your partner and say can you please do this or I need your help what can you help with or you know reaching out to people and then feeling confident enough in the way that you are parenting and the way that you are um, living your own life that you don't feel so influenced by what you see around you whether it is social media or what whether you, what your best friend's doing or that kind of thing would that be fair comment <clears throat> yeah I think so yeah definitely um and I feel like teaching our young girls self-worth, you know, that's where it really starts, doesn't it? You know, um, teaching our young boys how to, you know, be sensitive and all the rest of it, you know, in tune with their emotions and all, the, all of that sort of stuff. And then with our young girls teaching them self-worth. Like I'm a huge believer of boundaries. Um, I feel like um, uh, women who don't necessarily have an identity or feel lost in their identity don't have boundaries because they feel like they need to please everybody else. Mm. Um, and so that's, you know, another thing that I do harp on about is having these boundaries, you know, um, saying no to things, you know, not being afraid to upset people because at the end of the day you have to 
honor who you are and what resonates with you and it and it is kind of like hold the holistic picture you know if I'm very introverted so you know if I was to if you were to invite me to a big party Alison like if I didn't have an identity I might say yes because I feel like I need to appease you by coming mm, yep but me as Carmen says that environment would really really drain me so it's not even about feeling uncomfortable because at this point in my life, I'm okay with feeling uncomfortable. I have a cold shower every day. Like I'm okay <laughs> with feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. So it's not about feeling uncomfortable in that environment. Although I would set, you know, I would feel uncomfortable, but it's about, okay, if I go to that party, so say if I go at eight and I don't leave till 12, I'm around 50 people that I don't know. I have to exchange small talk with 50 people that I don't know that to me would take two days to recover from energetically yeah be that be that draining and that yeah but you know like maybe 10 years ago I, I would have gone to that party and then and then wondered why I felt like shit for two days afterwards mm. but you know like an extrovert so my mum's really extroverted so that would be her ideal situation to go to a party with 50 people that she didn't know yeah and I think that's part of our, you know, a part of this identity stuff as well is learning what gives us energy, what drains our energy, you know, what do we love, what don't we like, you know, exploring all of that stuff because that becomes the foundations of your identity and being more authentic to yourself. Mm. And actually like recognising because I'm, I'm sort of guessing but there might be people listening today that might not have made that connection between that say you've been in a situation that wasn't that great for you and then you didn't realize why you felt pretty ordinary you know in the next day or the day after so making mm-hmm. those connections and realizing that there is more maybe there's more to it than what we think there is if that's the way of putting yeah, it. yeah absolutely and also it's about um because if you have no boundaries so say say if i said yes to your party then you you might feel great about that but if I was to if I was to have the confidence to say no to your party that takes a certain level of self-worth from me to say no because I might think Alison won't like me anymore because I didn't come to her party Mm. yes it all links in together yeah yeah absolutely absolutely does yeah but I think the more you know yourself, the more you're self-aware about what, what works for you, which is part of the holistic counselling process, is, is, is rediscovering what, what works for you mm. and, and what maybe, makes you. And maybe for the first time actually looking at that, like, like we talked about the, the lady before in her 70s that maybe mm. hasn't even had that self-awareness to actually go there her whole life maybe. Absolutely. Yeah, and I feel like that identity comes from these seasons in our life as well people get lost in in the seasons in their life so we give ourselves labels so you know mum is a label you know that's a season in our life where we're raising children but then you know maybe after I have the stillbirth um, I get you know rabbit holed into looking at support groups for stillbirth and everything and then I become um, Carmen who had a stillbirth mm. Does that make sense? Oh, or yeah. Yeah. Carmen who works at dot, 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 dot. Mm. Like this, this identity thing comes with these seasons in our lives. But it takes a lot to shed that ego because it is ego, like when we identify with these things that, that we attach to. Mm. It takes a lot of, you know, courage and bravery to get rid of all those layers and just be Carmen. Carmen, that's it. No labels attached. It's just me. This is who I am. You know, without all of that, mm. kind of makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. be courageous enough to actually look at yourself, like take away all those things that you think you are or that you're mm-hmm. seen to be, and just look at actually who is this person without yeah without all that stuff. Why why do we have this obsession with labels? Like even when I start to speak to you, I ask you what what do you call yourself like you know why do we have this thing that we've got to know (laughs) it's an it's it's definitely an ego thing and it's not even like a conscious ego thing 
um, you know, it's like when you say, when you, when you meet someone for the first time, you know, say you're at a networking lunch or whatever, and, you know, you say to the people, well, hi, I'm Carmen. Um, and they say, hi, I'm Alison. And then I say, well, what do you do? Mm. Well, what does it matter what you do? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I'm here to meet Alison, you know, not Alison, who is the podcast person. What, are they, what do you call yourself? <laughs> oh, yeah, podcast person. <laughs> <laughs> it's not yeah. Carmen, the holistic counsellor. Yes. Yeah. It's Carmen. Yeah, because there's so much, there's so much, I don't, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but there's so much more to a person than just how they, how someone perceives them. So like you, I could say, I'm Alison that, um, that I, um, I am a mum of two and they'd go, all right, so that's what you are. Mm-hmm. You don't do anything else. You have nothing else that you do. That's what you are, you know. This and then like, they p- pigeonhole you, don't they? Mm. it's very interesting isn't it it is it's very interesting it's and it takes guts to and vulnerability to Mm. stand there and say i'm carmen full stop yeah it you're leaving yourself wide open for people to make their own opinions Mm, they got to be strong enough to not care about that (laughs) (laughs) which is when you have when you have that self-worth then you can stand there and say, hi, I'm Alison, full stop. Mm. And let, you know, and the way on the other side of things, if, you know, if you are meeting someone new or whatever and you don't want to subscribe to, you know, these labels or whatever, you can use curiosity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hi, I'm Carmen. Um, I like to read. Alison, uh, you know, you say, hi, I'm Alison. And I say, oh, Alison, what are some of your favourite things? Mm. So you know, com- be curious about the person. Yeah. yeah. It's actually, you want to learn, tell, tell me about what you enjoy doing or, you know. Yeah. It's not reaching for this this label to describe someone. It's almost like you feel, when, when someone tells you the label, you feel like you've found out all about them. It's like you've you've created that image in your mind of what they are. And it's like, well, that's, I don't need to know any more about you, you know. But then when you have that conversation, you actually, like you said, be curious. Yeah. It's a completely different way of looking at it, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I wonder if anyone will take that tip and try that at their next <laughs> networking function or the next wedding when they're meeting some people. I really like that. Yeah. Inspired Wellbeing Co. is on Instagram. Um, we are on Facebook and something about LinkedIn. People tell me that I need to know more about LinkedIn, but I'm there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I do check it occasionally. But, yeah, you can just reach out. And if you have any questions, you can email me. And I'm pretty responsive on, on email and pretty try to be pretty respons- uh, responsive on social media um, as much as I can. At the moment, I uh, have got one day a week where I'm counselling, um, like, for the full day. Um, again, I have to be careful of my energetics. So, I, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be a business that's five days a week. I couldn't handle that um, unless I employ someone else. Um, so, yeah, and at the moment, I'm, like, completely booked apart from one appointment for October. Um, which I'm truly, truly grateful for. But it doesn't make it easy to get in. Um, But what I say to people is please just always message me because if I get enough people, I will open another day. Mm. Um, It's just, yeah, balancing that. So, yeah, get in touch. Like if you're you're thinking about counselling or have any questions or just want to ask me a question, like I always am open for those questions. Yeah, that's lovely. And, yeah, I think if anyone... Yeah, that's listened today if it sort of sparks something in them that they think oh I'd like to know more about that yeah definitely reach out to Carmen I'll put all the links in the description so you'll be able to find her 
um, that's yeah it's that's it, it you're so you're a very very authentic person because you're like you said you're, you're energetics you have to be aware of yourself so you could go you know like I think there's this idea in business that business has to be this great aggressive world that you know the be all and end all and everyone has to be busy 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 at the at the expense of everything else in their life um mm-hmm. that you're you're saying and you're you're showing but that is not how it works and you can actually that's again you're setting your boundaries you're respecting yourself your own self-worth so you're living the talk you're literally living what you what you I don't want to say you're practicing what you preach but you know what I mean like you are modeling this is this is how I want to live my life this is how I want to run my business this is what's important to me so I think that's that's fantastic it's yeah you're very and I'm not perfect Oh no, I'm not perfect. I, I just want to put that out there. Like, <laughs> like you know, I'm I'm authentic 85% of the time. The other 15% I question myself and go, should I be, you know, ag- aggressively marketing? You know, do you get what I mean? Like you always have yeah. that, those self-reflection points. So, you know, we're not, I'm not, you know, always you've always got to have self-reflection and awareness, I think, is is my point. <laughs> mm, yeah navel gazing and <laughs> yeah exactly being still in the moment and yeah absolutely reevaluating yeah it's been a really really enlightening episode and i really appreciate you sharing and sharing so honestly your own story too and i'm yeah really grateful for your time carmen thank you no, thank you, Alison. I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to be on here. So, yeah, thank you. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please contact me at the link in the bio or send me an email at alisonnewman.net. Edge Dwellers Cafe is a fortnightly-ish, long-form interview-based podcast featuring conversations about politics, environment and mental health in a world on edge with Ben Habib. Ben is an international relations researcher, environmental educator, mental health advocate and longtime friend of mine who enjoys having a yarn over a hot coffee. The podcast tries to make sense of the different kinds of edges that define us divide us and shape how we interact with each other in a world that's gone a little bonkers and what it means to be a little different. Check it out at podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts.